welcome to Vanguard Radio. And we are back on Free Talk Live Wednesday night with uh, me, White Man for White Land. I am your host. Um, we Kike Herder, are you still there? Um, Kike Herder is. Um, I don't hear him. Well, anyway, if you're still there, I'll leave the call going, and uh, you can get back to me whenever you're ready. Um, we're going to have Panzerfaust, the famous Panzerfaust from uh, VNNForum.com uh, in uh, in a minute. He's calling from a landline, so uh, I'm going to have to do some interesting things here with Skype to get him on. Uh, he made but, a nice video. Yeah, he ma- he makes... A bunch of really cool videos, and he has actually has a new blog, uh, Jewish Girls Apl- Crave Black Men, which I think is... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, look, the Jews are the uh, at the forefront of producing multiracial or interracial porn, especially uh, gang bang or gang rape, whatever the fuck they want to call it, uh, on white girls and groups of niggers. So, hey... I think it's a pretty funny way of getting back at him. Uh, so we're going to bring right. him in here when he's ready. But we're going to bring in Dietrich first. And he's got a international news roundup for us. And so I'm going to bring him in right now. And we'll see what he's got to say. The host of Friday Night Free Talk Live. Uh, and uh, actually... Kike Herder, I'm going to drop you real quick, because okay. Cancer Faust is calling in. I'll bring you back in, okay? All right. Okay. Uh, Panzer Faust, are you there? Yes, sir, I'm here. How are you tonight? Oh, very well. You co- you're coming in great. Um, give okay. me one second. I'm going to bring Kike Herder back in, because I wanted to talk about his uh, Air Force experience a little bit more. Um, okay. So give me one second. I'm gonna, okay. Kike Herder, are you there? Again, okay, he takes a minute to get in here. Um, Panzerfaust, I want to say, good job on the new blog, buddy. That's uh, <laughs> I like that. Well, I, I I can't take credit for that. Again, that was something Jeff talked about um, on his Monday night show maybe a month ago or so, and, and yeah. it just sounded like a brilliant idea. You know what I mean? And Wednesday's my day off. I had a little extra time today. I figured, ah, what the hell? That's and for everybody listening, it only took a half hour to do that. So you yeah, know, yeah. We, and, we, we, we should all be doing these things. Every free minute of our time, we should be doing some kind of activism, even if it's something funny and ridiculous like that. Yeah, exactly. I, I feel the same way. And, uh, you know, it's, it's easy as hell to make these videos. Um, Hello. Uh, Dietrich, you there? Hey, man, what's up? Can you hear me? Yeah, uh, turn your mic down just a tad, maybe? Down, okay. Um, it's, I got a little, like, buzzing from your end, but it's not that bad. Um, you sound pretty good other than that. Oh boy, yeah, I'm using this, using the cheapy. Oh, okay, I see you got a landline call in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We yeah got, that, uh, that, that would be my fault. Yeah. Hi, <laughs> uh-huh. Carter. Are you there? Hello. Yeah. Okay. So we got. You can hear me. We got a full house. Yes, I can. All right. Um, sounds good. We got a full house. Uh, Panzerfaust. Uh, right before we get into uh, Dietrich's uh, UK roundup, that's what you got for us, right? No, it's in Iran. Oh, uh, any, okay. Yeah. All right. Middle East um, focus here. Uh, Panzerfaust, did you have anything uh, specific you wanted to talk about? Because um, I know I you've never called into this sh- this show before, but uh, 
Have you ever called okay. into Free Talk Live before? No, this is my first call on okay. any of the shows. Cool. And, uh, I want to congratulate you on the great shows on Wednesday. It's my only day off during the week. I'm thrilled that, you know, that there is a show. Uh, Dietrich, your show is great, too, but I never catch it live. Um, I was, oh, thanks, I was, man. I always have to download the MP3 to listen to it, but I, I, I listen to all the shows religiously. I never miss them one way or another. Yeah, White Man's really hit the ground, and I think... Yeah, yeah, he's doing he's doing great, you know, and it's it's good. Um, I was talking to Chain last week, and and he said it, you know, it's great that there's that there's a lot of young talent getting on the on the shows and on the boards. Um, you know, this I is my it. entertainment now. <laughs> Hell yeah, it's better than watching a fucking uh, a bunch of ugly niggers sing on American Idol, um, right? All night, right, exactly. For fuck's sake, I, you know, the. My parents grew up in a generation where they'd sit around the radio and listen to radio shows. Um, yeah, that was when they were real young kids. Obviously, they had uh, TVs when they were teenagers. But, uh, you know, that's the type of thing people used to do. And your mind's engaged when you're listening to radio, I think, uh, a lot more than when you're sitting there watching TV. At least you're thinking about what's being said instead of simply uh, absorbing in every... <laughs> Every pore of your body is simply absorbing this Jewish uh, propaganda, which is spewed out through our television. But um, I digress well, well, on that. Well, Dietrich, you said there was uh, there was a study done that shows that your your, your bullshit detector is essentially non-existent when you're watching TV. Indeed, I'm going to be doing a. Uh, I, I, I took some classes in physiological and neuropsychology, and that's the uh, branch of psychology that actually exists. Um, <clears throat> that, that's actually has some basis in science. Uh, it's from the PET scans and the CAT scans. A lot of the the research we can do now, we can see uh, the type of brain activity that's going on, and we can, we can look at what's going on when you're daydreaming, for they instance. They do that we with everything. At, they do that with like alcoholics too, and yeah, stuff like yeah, that. You, yeah. You can see like what uh, like pleasure centers is yeah. the popular term uh, that, uh, that are being emulated. And yeah, we can see what's happening when you're daydreaming or when you're smoking a cigarette. And, uh, some interesting things happen when you watch television. And uh, I'm going to be going over that in the future, uh, free talk live once uh, I get notes together on that. Cause I've had yeah, a lot of people asking about, about it. that for a while. And I've I been know, interested. I know. And I've been really meaning to get my notes yeah. together. <laughs> I lost a couple sources. Yeah, I lost a couple sources, and I got a huge, huge binder for my neuropsychology class that I just, I just need to paw through it, and I haven't had time. It's been out of town, but the, the quick, uh, the quick version is that basically your, your brain is uh, in a very, in an almost hypnotic state after the first ten or fifteen minutes of watching television. You're, you're basically daydreaming, except for when you're daydreaming, you're uh, you still have bits and pieces of your conscious uh, that's steering this uh, stream. Uh, conscious isn't really just one stream; it's a bunch of different data streams of you know your your different senses and your uh, uh, all these streams like builds builds a state of conscious. And when you when you're watching television, basically what happens the damage happens after you've watched television for a while and you've zoned out. You uh, or, or when you're actually watching, you, when you see, for instance, a uh, uh, a woman showing a man how to change a tire, that uh, whether you know it, yeah, <laughs> right, whether you know it or like it or whatever, it it changes your perception of the world. No matter 
how finely attuned your BS detector is, even if you're one of us. And and I would think almost especially if you're one of us and you see something like that, uh, it, it really does uh, – it frustrates what you otherwise know better, and there's a physiological uh, representation of this that we can we can uh, look and, and see. And I've got some slides, and I'm going to put together. I'm going to scan some slides and put together a PDF and uh, do it properly here one of these weeks. Yeah, that sounds interesting. very interesting. White nationals need to know how important it is. I mean, to, to basically read through the lines on TV. I mean, there's there's still like a, I have a lot of hopes for the young people. Um, most of my videos, all my videos, are, are they're, they're pretty much geared on that principle that people are just going to sit there and drool and watch them. Right. Um, and, and the basic idea is I'm trying to push the people that are on the fence into our yard, um, and I'm trying to throw the people in the other yard on top of the fence. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you, you know what I mean? I'm, yeah. That's pretty much how I look at it. But, um, yeah, TV is so destructive, and it is. It, it's kind of liberating once you really just realize and you accept we all kind of realized, I'm sure, years before we really just became white nationals, how how how, how jewed up everything is. But yeah, I mean, before I was a before, um, I would say before I considered myself a white nationalist, I was when I took the first class in physiological psychology, I got rid of cable, or I, it took a while to get rid of it, but I got rid of it. I stopped watching it altogether, where I didn't even like it being on in the room, and if you. And if anyone dares to try the experiment, if you go without television, say, for a month, and then sit down and watch some commercials, just some random channel at a random time of day, and uh, it's so goddamn offensive. It's it's weird. Right. It's, it's, it's very strange, even during, yeah. and like especially during kids' programming. Yeah, it hits oh, you. They use techniques right out of... Uh, uh, psychological. I mean, you know, you read things by Bernays. Bernays was very cynical about it, and you know, he said we can manipulate the masses and we can do this. Only if it's continuous, though, because if it doesn't continue, it it tends to wear off. But uh, that's right. It, as long as it keeps going, as long as people keep exactly, watching, as there. long as they have uh, you know shows on which people turn on every night and then watch continuously watch right. TV for you know. Well, the, it, TV the reason that so is bad. is because it. Because objective reality that we all see out when we go and about during our day while not watching television uh, tends to reject everything that we quote unquote learned while we watch while we while we are watching television that that black show whites how to work technology for yeah. instance yeah, or women that, show men how to change tires or you know yeah not only that but uh, the objective reality which we see when we walk out the front door is extremely depressing for most white people. <laughs> right. So I, I, it I would it say easy. so. It's it's like an, a total ex escape from from the world in which they have to deal with, and for especially for uh, like the baby boomer area era, it's basically an escape from the world which they have created. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And they've always been. They are the generation of escapism. They really absolutely. are. Whether it's drugs or or uh, or media or whatever it it has been of escapism and that partially that goes a long way actually to explaining their reaction to us uh, or or anyone that would dare uh, rock the boat so to speak I mean and anyone that would dare show them you know even though it's truth and and it's like if for instance it's it explains why you can cite statistics and they can be very very angry at you for doing so. You know, it's like, stop being angry at numbers, it's not me. 
Yeah. I mean, yeah. But it's you're kind of bursting their bubble. It's forcing them to perceive reality. Yeah, you're bursting which, their bubble. You're yeah. interfering with their beautiful mind. Absolutely. <laughs> I get that so often when I talk to people in their middle, you know, middle-aged or, you know, a little bit maybe beyond middle-aged. Is it's they refuse to believe anything, which, like you said, will burst the bubble. Which you will just have to take a very, you take a very uh, Lincoln, uh, George Lincoln Rockwell stance. Mention a couple of racial, you know, God, these niggers are stupid. Why, why, why are they, why, why are they playing basketball and getting scholarships? <laughs> and 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 that. And that gets them. Or, or how many black employees do you have? How many yeah. do you want? Why, how you many know? do you want? Is the question. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, when you're citing, I mean, when you're citing like numbers and facts to people, um, I mean, they, uh, my what I notice is they just they just throw their hands in the air and just cover their ears. I, I, I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. I want to hear. It. That's kind of the reaction I get. Not just from the baby boomers, but from everybody. Um, well, they, yeah. They I know mean, you're telling the truth. They know yeah. you're telling the truth. They know you're right. They just it's. They have to turn their backs on all these things. I mean, I remember myself when I first was becoming aware. You got to turn your backs on your back on all these things that you held so dear to you, you know, like smoking pot and drinking booze all the time, and and uh, uh, you know, TV shows that I thought were great. That now, if I look at them, I just realize it's 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 a bunch of bullshit of just pushing race mixing and you know, the almighty niggers are so smart and all this shit. You got to turn your back on things that that you held dear, and they, people aren't willing to do it, man. Yeah, each person, you you got to do a little bit at a time, yeah. and I've, I've I took rounders newspapers and I just push them into some you know five people's hands over the weekend, just wherever I go. Yeah, one the, newspaper the, for you, one for you. Well, yeah, it t- people it takes people different amounts of time to, and there are people that will never. I mean, the mass of generally the mass of the people will never awake from that slumber, and that's just not something you can hope for. But it takes everyone a different, you know, amount of time, and it takes uh, some situation or occurrence in someone's life for them to awaken, just like it did for all of us, probably here right well, now. Well, everyone has to um, be dragged cr- kicking and screaming, oh, because you, you're taking them from a United States in the early 21st century is the is the uh, prosperous hyperpower. Pretty much anyone can have what they want. Uh, the chickens aren't haven't really quite come home to roost yet, although they are uh, pecking down the doors. But but uh, it, you can still escape. You can still almost get away with it. And uh, it, what you do when you are attempting to wake someone up is that you're dragging them from their from their drug-induced stupor yeah. and into a tyrannical uh, Ameriquois. Yeah. You're showing it to them, and they don't want to see it. And they will resent you way more than they resent the people who are lying to them than the people who are, uh, you know, murdering whites. And, and that that goes, in my opinion, that goes a long way to, to explain why you see things like what we were talking about last week uh, on Kirksville today with the, the the woman getting mad at Alex because he was citing statistics. You know, this woman was getting angry at numbers. But uh, you you can't. It, it, I don't know. On some level, you just you can't reason with people. You have to do it on their own, do it on their own time. But at the same time, we should all realize that you know that is why they get that. That is why they have that visceral reaction to us sometimes. Right. Because, I, I guess yeah. what I'm saying is that it, chances are you 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 you're better off working on like something like a passive uh, information. Something such as the internet, where you're not shoving something in someone's face and expecting them to 
automatically agree with you, even though it is true. You yeah. know, um, you allow them to kind of come around, and when they have that, you know, critical the camel, you know, the straw breaking the ca- camel's back point yeah. in their life, they 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 will see, they will find what you put on the internet. You know, they're going to find Panzerfaust uh, YouTube videos. They're going to find Free Talk Live and uh, BNNForum.com, and they're going to find all these things. So. Yeah, they're just tools and uh, one can use to deprog or help deprogram themselves, you yeah. know, along with us because we're all doing the same thing basically. But uh, but yeah, I mean, they they really do. You are when when you um. Uh, gosh, I forgot what I was going to say. Go ahead. Oh, <laughs> hey, hey, Dietrich, me. Dietrich, I got yeah. a question for you. You seem to keep up on all these uh, worldwide events. What do you think about what's going on in Russia? They've had the fall of communism, and and but the Communist Party still exists there. Yeah. And what, what what do you think's going on over there? I started reading Moss News or Moscow News today. That's a good source, yeah. Yeah, and and so you know, Kai Carter, you sent me that that video that uh, Russian skinhead uh, story, and. I, that, that was a heck of a story. Did you read these, the, the last comment, the last sentence in that story? Can you imagine seeing something like that in American? In uh, no, they, they, they would have a hundred law enforcement agencies oh, on God. us so quick. That was so awesome. I mean, <laughs> the, the guy says, "Well, my name's Machete." They, they have, you know, the same thing we have here. They have little groups of people, and you know, they, they you know, and, but but in their groups, they go out and. Uh, Uh, Let me me read the last sentence of this news story. And I think, you know, in a news story, the first sentence and the last sentence are the ones, especially the last sentence, the last paragraph at least, are the ones which, you know, leave the reader with that feeling, with, you know, they're the best pieces of propaganda you can put in a news story, I, I think, is the first and the last pieces. And that's the... That's just like a, in a, in a novel or anything. It's the first and the last is the most important. And here's the last sentence of this story from Moss News um, about the Russian skinheads. Uh, you know, there's like hundreds of thousands of them now. But here, here it is. It says, here's the last sentence of the story. It says, basically, I would advise Africans and Asians not to come to Russia. There is nothing good for them here, he said. Oh, yeah. That's yeah, the last yeah. sentence but, of the because, story. Because the one that did come got beat to death, yeah. and, uh, and and so they had the uh, Cameroon embassy representative telling people, you know, hey, when you come here, be careful, you know, don't you know, watch Rico. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Because these skinheads are going out and just baseball batting these people to death. And, and they've... Uh, you know they've gotten in the news, and and the president, you know, P- Putin said, uh, well, you know, yeah, we're going to crack down on them, but it, yeah, he's not doing it. Hopefully not. But <laughs> yeah, they, Listen, they, my, they don't they don't fuck around in skinheads over there. I'll tell you, man. I've seen. Well, you go to it Final doesn't need to be any different than it is here. It really doesn't. Uh, it really doesn't. I, I got to tell you, the more and more I learn about politics. Is, and it really does. And this isn't going to surprise anyone, but it really does. It comes comes out of the, the end of a baseball bat. In this case, yeah. well, that's what they had in the picture: is a guy with his baseball bat and some skinheads behind him, and the baseball bat looked a little bit bloodied. <laughs> if you put boots on the street, if you have reliable, loyal, upstanding boots on the street, boots and bats, 
and guns and whatever. On the street, people will make concessions to you, especially Ameriquois. Politicians are worms. They'll, they will make concessions. And I'm not altogether sure that's what Pootie's doing, but I really think that I, I, I think that he has national sentiment deep down. He's a Russian patriot. Um, I, I believe that much. Well, uh, what, what I'm trying to figure out is: are they still in control of the Jews, or are they, you know, are they nationalistic now? It, Jews it, it, are so. Yeah, it's really it's Jews are like mold. It, it really are. They you can, you know, you can Clorox the whole area, and God, if you can check back a week later, and they're already, I mean, they're already starting to grow back. It's not, it's not like you you wipe them out and the. And then they're gone for a while. I mean, they're, it's it's like holding back water. Some, they're still fighting. Yeah. They're always gonna, yeah, unless you get rid of the problem permanently, you, you're always going to have a Jewish subterfuge going on. So to say that, I mean, it really isn't a situation whether it's either on or off. I'm a, I'm a, but uh, it, it I, seems I saw like they definitely have the upper hand on them now. I mean, it's easy to tell by looking at the money Jews and say, well, the money Jews have been are, are are running and being shot. So, I mean, that's that's good. I saw several positive for us stories. One of them was, uh, and these are all from 2006. They're older stories, but I saw them on Moss News, and uh, they said, uh, you know, Madonna was coming, and, and then the Orthodox Christians came out and started holding protests and, and tearing her picture in half and saying, we don't want this, uh, uh, whatever you call Madonna, we, we don't want this bad morality here. And uh, you know, the, the Jews held a demonstration for Israel at, at the synagogue, and there were, only, there were only 50 Jews there, and that was number two. And... Uh, yeah, yeah, I can't remember them all, but uh, it seems like a lot of positive things coming out of there that uh, they're fighting them back. Now that the communists are certainly demonstrating and uh, trying to get power back, but they've lost in the last couple of elections. So, And even the communists over there aren't altogether what we think of when we say communists. A lot of people over there that are caught up in the Communist Party are are young traditionalists. And so people that I mean, somewhat like we would say, oh, we want to go back to conservative Eisenhower type days. A lot of people, they're they're not just uh, commie Bolsheviks trying to knock over the Russian government again. A lot of them are, in fact, traditionalists. Although you do have the other element in there as well. Right. Well, there's, yeah. there, there seems to be a strong. I was actually a couple of weeks ago. I was I was out at dinner and I ended up hanging out with this uh, a Russian guy. Who'd, who'd moved to the states, and he said that there's a really strong nationalist feeling—not just skinheads or white nationalists, but he says, it's you know, like blacks and Chinese get robbed by just your average white people because they know they can get away with it. The cops aren't going to do anything. Uh, <laughs> they, they feel like they're doing a service for the country, and so he said, Jews, Jews in Russia don't exactly come out and say that they're Jews. Um, I think they're running scared out there, and and that's so what that's too. what this uh, skinhead group was saying is that. We go out and we look for Armenians and we look for Chinese and we look for... <laughs> yeah, yeah the, the things... Chinese are going to be a problem because uh, they have this huge population. Uh, Pat, Pat Buchanan wrote about that in his Death of the West in uh, Eastern Russia. I'm sorry, yeah. go ahead. I think I interrupted um, somebody. Yeah, if you want to check out um, more about uh, Russian skinheads, there's a site, uh, Format 18. Um, search for it on Google. That's, that's one of the organizations uh, which has a... 
A very professional looking website, actually. Yeah, they post videos of their yeah. beatings. Yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> see some interesting videos. Check that website out. It's all in Cyrillic, which, uh, you know, if you can't read Cyrillic, you're not going to be able to really navigate the site that well, but you can kind of fumble through it and find some cool stuff on there, too. So, um, but anyway, we brought Dietrich in to talk about an Iran story. So, what. Yeah. Dietrich, what do you have? Um, I know you've got some interesting viewpoints on Iran. Yes, and they're being uh, they're they're they're, they're coming they're, true. Right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. I'm feeling really good about it. I'm throwing a little bit. <laughs> That's good. Okay. So tell us tell us <laughs> what right. you've uh, my contention. All right. My contention all along has been, or what I've been seeing all along, is that the mid-range strategy for the United States and uh, Southwest Asia is uh, breaking them up and retribalizing the Middle East. It's been advertised, basically. It's, so that's no real secret. But uh, the, the way to do that, the, the way forward that I've been seeing, uh, really, it, the plan has been taking okay, shape. Why, is it, why are they retribalizing the Middle East? Is that, okay. is that to defer their, uh, ten, the Middle East's detention, um, attention from Israel? Or, or Absolutely. What? Okay. Yeah, okay. Um, so Arabs are very, Arabs love fighting one another. They, yeah. uh, politically, uh, getting Arabs all pointed in the same direction is like herding cats. I mean, we don't really see that as much because of, we're, we're, we're at the tail end of a large wave of Arab nationalism that happened in the 50s, 60s, and 70s, and that ended in 1979, pretty much. Uh, so th they're they're moving along they're they're organizing along different lines whether it's Islam or uh, yeah basically their their religion and, and tribal lines which is what it, it's good for Israel right. if they do that because only nations uh, can fight nations really I mean that's I mean Hezbollah kind of goes against that but Hezbollah still had a nation state backing it the Iranians. Really, do need the resources of a nation state uh, to really cause trouble with, uh, uh, well, with the new world order. Basically, you, you, you need a lot of resources to fight it. Where the mid-range strategy uh, has been, that, that's the long-range strategy. But but what the United States is trying to move to now is breaking up Iraq, and Iraq was the the, the center point of all of these uh, real important and deep tribal lines the the sunni and the shia is is what we commonly hear about on the news here um the the only real uh what we've been trying to do is move the iranians into shia iraq and have them administer it uh and basically have the uh the the syrians and the saudis and the iraqis who are basically all sunni uh right up and share a border with the Shia of Iran. That way they'll fight like cats and dogs, uh, which is already happening, actually. Uh, but the only real force in the way of us uh, having... Uh, the Iranians didn't want to do it, uh, or they did want, they do want it. They, they have a, a new caliphate, stars in their eyes, basically, which is going to end up hurting them. They're going to take the bait, um, and it's bad for them, but... Uh, they're okay. Uh, the militias, like the Mutal al-Sadr, uh, his militias, Mahdi army, is really the only in Baghdad. They're really the only guys that would really cause problems if uh, Iran just rolled in with tanks and said, "Okay, this is now Shiistan. It's a client state of Iran." Uh, the Mahdi army would really be the only 
would be the, the biggest section of the population giving them trouble. So part of the deal, obviously, or, or uh, I, uh, I predicted that uh, that was part of the deal, that, that there would be a battle of Baghdad. Uh, I think it was like at the end of October. I blogged that. Uh, I, I predicted the surge, and I, I called it the Battle of Baghdad, which it's been called the surge instead, but I think history will probably call it the Battle of Baghdad. It's being fought right now. Uh, against the Mahdi army by the United States military. We're, we're clearing the way for the Iranians. Um, the United States has cut a deal with Muqtada al-Sadr. Um, I, I predicted that, and he's been safe. He, we moved him into Iran, and he's been safe there uh, with the U.S.'s blessing since, uh, since the February, just a couple days before the February uh, Battle of Baghdad began. Uh, for the Mahdi fighters left behind in Iraq, they're being paid protection money by government contractors, uh, and they're splintering. There are some that want to uh, work with uh, our new designs of a Shia stand, that, and they like the idea, and there are some that are just fighting the infidels. But uh, it was reported today in the Associated Press by uh, Hamza Hindawi, and it's I blogged it just a few minutes ago, so it should be up top at theseus.wordpress.com. Uh, that the uh, that our government's paying protection money for uh, for uh, we're, we're paying the the, the Mahdi army basically the new uh, uh, Iraqi military basically is the guys that we were fighting just a couple weeks ago. Okay, so uh, just, okay, so there's just to break this down because uh, the average Quan, I think you might be going over a little bit over their heads. We only get. One side of the story here. There's the Sunni yeah. and the Shia. We, we don't get any side of the story. Right. We, we get a shitty side of the story, but <sighs> we, we get our, our our information that we get is basically bullshit and complete. Just it, it it serves no purpose. It doesn't tell us anything which we need to know. So, I mean, basically, what they're telling us on TV is that there's these two, you know, warring. The, the whole problem with Iraq right now, according to the national news media, is that there's two. Warring religious uh, sects, right. which is the uh, Shia and the Sunnis, right. and and these are the two groups which are causing the problem because they they simply won't reconcile. And yeah. So, the, and, and the Shia is the are the ones who are having are getting the bulk of the power right now. Is that is that right? Well, right, because they vastly outnumber right. Sunni. The right. Sunni okay. had had the power because they were. Uh, part of the power structure under Saddam. Saddam was a Sunni, uh, ostensibly, and right. he, they were part of the power structure, uh, more or less, and they oppressed it. And, and, and it wasn't only Saddam. Uh, going all the way back, uh, probably a thousand years or more, of Sunnis have dominated that area, and uh, and they've oppressed the Shia, which they are traditionally, there's actually more Shia there, but the Sunnis resources from Saudi Arabia have generally been able to dominate the area. But there's another contingent in there, and that's the Kurds. We don't hear much about them, but they're going to be part of uh, the shit stirring as we go forward. Uh, we're going to hear more and more about them. But, uh, but, but yeah, the, the, the thing is, Muqtada al-Sadr is a, is a Shiite, and we've been paying... Uh, we, we, cut a, we cut a deal with the Shia, Shiites in order to uh, to, to bring Iran in. We're, we're trying to reconcile between the Iranian Shias and the Iraqi Shias. It's a huge mess over there. They really don't like each other. <laughs> Nobody likes each other over there. The, and the Middle East is so politically... Uh, okay, it, so it's, where's, it's the Mahdi, where's the Mahdi army come in? What, um, 
they they're, they're who's been fighting us to a large degree over there. Um, Muqtada al Sadr's Mahdi army ha, have been fighting us because they've known what we wanted to do was break up the country, and the Shia uh, had been had been thinking that they were going to get control of Iraq, which is what when someone says we're looking forward to a democratic Iraq, that's what they mean. The the Shia in charge because they outnumber everyone else. So you know, sort of like putting the white people back in charge of the United States, um, but since uh, they know, they okay, know so Iraqis know that we're trying to break up their country, they know that absolutely. Yeah, so, so we're so our forces are our private contractors are basically paying this army. Um, we are now, yeah, we've paid them off. We cut a deal with their leader, and it, they've really splintered off. And this AP, uh, this 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 AP thing, blah blah, uh, it really goes into a good bit of detail about it. But um, yeah, we're, we're the United States government is paying Mahdi militiamen, and you know, at what point does the payment of protection money from government contractors to these uh, Mahdi uh, Shia militiamen become the hiring of the Shia gunslingers for security in Iraq? You know, I mean, at, w at what point does one fade into the other? But uh, according to the same article, the different splinters of the Mahdi army are now actually fighting one another, as if we weren't confused enough as it was. Uh, the two Mahdi army commanders here's a here's a quote from the article the two Mahdi army commanders blamed several recent attacks uh, the the several attacks on US forces in eastern Baghdad on the splinter group the commanders also said they believed the breakaway force had organized the attempt last week to kill the mayor of Sadr city who was a who was close to the service movement and uh, was involved in talks with the U.S. military about extending the five-week-old Baghdad security sweep into Sadr City, the Mahdi Army stronghold in uh, Baghdad that has been a no-go zone for American forces until about three weeks ago. So, so yeah, there you have it. I mean, <laughs> it's in black and white. Um, so they're saying uh, there's like these splinter groups splintering off the um, main portion of the army, which we've been basically paying for protection well we've bought off we, we bought off the large we've bought off and co-opted the large part of the forces uh, the, the, the well-equipped uh, fighting force that, that was opposing the US military we've bought them off and only small splinter groups from that original group are now not only fighting us but they're fighting them which is what this article goes over the name of the article is actually, uh, let's see, what is it called? Uh, it's, a telling, it's, it's talking about how they're starting to splinter. Uh, but yeah, the the I, I don't know. It's just it's just nice to see it there in, in so black how, and how white. So how does that tie into um, Iran? How do you think that's gonna uh, kind of? Well, we're clearing the way. We. Uh, what what's shaping up is that uh, Iran is going to administer uh, the Shia section, the Shia half of Iraq, which is, uh, if you're looking at a map of Iraq, it's like the southwest one-third of the country, basically. And they're going to be administering that and probably using uh, the, these uh, solderist elements at, at the high positions in the government. That's probably the deal they uh, that, uh, that they've cut. So um what that's going to mean 
for the larger area, what it means is that everybody's going to be fighting. Uh, the Turks are preparing themselves right now for a spring offensive reported in their newspaper this morning uh, that they're pre preparing for a, a spring offensive that will make incursions into northern Iraq to uh, fight uh, Kurdish elements that uh, have been causing them problems, or so they claim. Um, that's in, and I'll blog that right now. But... Uh, so, so basically what you're saying is, is the U.S. is going to keep anybody from getting power. They just want to keep the fighting going and going and going. Um, yeah. There, there really isn't going to be a government, so to speak, in Iraq. No, no. Like, um, no, there isn't going to be an Iraq to right. speak of. There, see, Iraq to begin with is... like what they did to Germany after World War II. Yeah, it does. Actually. Well, no, it's going to be a lot worse than that. It's going, yeah. to, be, it's going to be closer to... Uh, oh, boy... Well, you got all these muds involved. I mean, well, see if you look at a map of the like Southwest Asia, up the country into the other countries, which are sympathetic. It's, it's well, exactly what they did to Germany. It kind of looks like that. It looks like that, but that's not actually. Yeah. But, but what's actually going on is that we we hope to we're we're orient them instead of using nationalism as the organizing principle. We're we're reorganizing them on the lines of tribe. You know, I think it was kind of a you know, kind of a girly mixed drink where they pour different layers and it's there's different colors, you know. And if you stick a, a straw in there and you stir it around real fast <laughs> it's and it's kinda of like you break everything up and let it reorient and the natural lines upon which they want to orient is tribal uh and religious and that's good for Israel because that puts them back at one another's throats. Now, they had people like Saddam that would just go in and crack skulls. He didn't put up with it. He was basically a secularist uh, Sunni, and they didn't put up with it. He didn't put up with it. He would have, he, he did everything he could to keep religious. He focused, he focused his uh, energy on Israel to a large extent, right? Well, he, he focused it on. I guess his public persona on Israel and in, in, in private, he he concentrated on squashing the intertribal, uh, you know, violence That's right. or whatever, right? That's right. Yeah. Okay. But but they also had the uh, they had the resources of a nation state, so they they oh. could cause problems with Israel, which he was paying suicide bombers like twenty five thousand dollars to the families of suicide bombers. Yeah, I think it was like fifteen or twenty five thousand uh, dollars per. Uh, suicide bombing. So I mean that that was something that was untenable for the Israelis, and not a good model that that, that they wanted to uh, allow to happen, either above the table or below it. Uh, but what what we're seeing now is these tribal elements. Uh, we're we're seeing the retribalization in the Middle East. I mean we're seeing history be made. It's it's kind of like the uh, Western United States. So you look at Southwest Asia, look at the map. You see all those straight lines around Jordan, you know, Transjordan, Syria, Iraq. The reason these lines are very straight is because someone just came in there, the British, and cut these large swaths out, kind of like in Western United States, you know, the homestead or whatever. You, if you look at a map, the counties are like perfect squares in a lot of ways. You yeah. know, they're not along like even natural boundaries sometimes. They were just carved out, out out of nothing, and it's no big deal for counties in the western United States, but in that part of the world, uh, borderlines, uh, political borderlines and, and actual borderlines as they exist in people's minds are very different things, and when you have to force people together and pull them apart, I mean, 
what that means is that the the, the unifying forces of uh, nationalism are allowed to work when you have a little bit of Kurd, a little bit of uh, Sunni, and a lot of Shiite, and you can you can kind of play them all against one another. That's what's happening in the Qua. It's good. Multicult is good for governments because you can play these factions against one another. But when you have a country that is a natural country, a blood and soil nation, which is how we kind of refer to it, of people who want a consensual political experience, uh, kind of like the United States was before the Civil War. That's an essential political experience of people who share a borders language culture type situation. That's a blood and soil yeah. thing, and well, that's what you're saying makes makes total sense as far as the tribe uh, situation goes. I mean, isn't that really what they're doing here in the Qua? Is uh, not necessarily tribes, but instead of tribes, they're substituting races for that. Um, anytime you can get everyone's eyes off the Jew. Um, that's the main goal, I mean, of a Jew in an age in which they're, they have an intense and extreme amount of power. And it would be so easy for anyone to look at the degradation and the, the destruction of their community and, and point to someone to say, um, to, to lay the blame on, at least. And the Jew needs to deflect that criticism at all costs. And, yeah. you know, and, and that's the goal is you create multiculturalism here in the United States and you make uh, you know Mexicans fight blacks and you make you make whites move out of their areas and they're afraid of blacks and then it creates all these um, deflections from the true problem and yeah. you're doing the same thing in the Middle East you know you create these Well also uh, I mean look if you have a white nation uh, in the uh, if you have a United States as a white nation I mean it's 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 a fairly strong political entity uh, when you know when we all understand who we are and what uh, the in group is and the out group is an actual uh, authentic construction, something like like race, something you can look at under a microscope, you know, and say these people belong politically under the same basic system. Um, it really down to that. What the Jew likes to do is artificially construct these uh, uh, organizing principles, like communism, for instance. You see, communism and capitalism aren't opposites because communism has to be enforced. Capitalism is just what people do when you leave them the hell alone. Yeah. Now, I'm not talking about Judeo-capitalism yeah, here. Yeah. I'm talking about just normal Aryan capitalism. The original capitalism, which was um, came out of the <laughs> just need leaving to, people the hell alone. <laughs> yeah, it, 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 the original capitalism came out of the need to uh, really was create a, uh, the need to create money. Well, capitalism has uh, been going on since the division of labor. Yeah, uh, since people yeah. said, "Hey, I'll try. I can. I'm really good at building these shovels. How about I build these shovels full time and you guys me yams?" I mean, that's that's how division of labor got going, and that's basically how capitalism got going. It's been going on ever since. It's yeah. just when you leave people the hell alone, and let them do what they're going to do. People divide up their labor, well, and, and this is yeah, what they I have. Think, I think the general consensus of, of Jews in general is that any organized force, any nation which is an organized political force which is going in one direction, which is a, a unified homogenous state that all agrees that there's a problem. For instance, Iraq agreed pretty much, I would assume that Iraq agree, agreed, uh, its, its citizens included, 
that Israel was a problem and a threat. Oh, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. a, a country who was hostile, who had you know around a hundred nuclear uh, warheads at its disposal. Uh, obviously, this is a threat. Of course, the Jews, uh, who largely control the United States media and and uh, banking systems and whatnot, and j just in general, are extremely powerful within the United States, decided to get rid of Iraq. Well, uh, doesn't that make sense? I mean, if you're if you're in a, a group. Uh, which is trying to blend into the population of a country and trying to um, influence that yeah. population. Isn't yeah, that what you, you do doing? instead... You get rid of... You get rid of that, and you organize them along these constructs that don't that, that have no basis in science. I mean, you can be a Sunni one year and have a conversion to Shia, Shiitism, I mean, or whatever, it, 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 if that's what you want to do. You could be a capitalist one year, or a Baptist, or a Catholic, or whatever. It's race that matters. Yeah. And all of these artificial constructs is what... It, it, that's the weak... It's like the strong nuclear force and the weak nuclear force. It, the weak nuclear force is uh, ideology, yeah. organized political lines along along the lines of ideology, like communism. Um, and they they say there's no thing as race, there's no this, there's no that. Uh, the, the individualism controls the means of production, and uh, see it's it's false. It has to be enforced. You know, no no one ever. It, it's kind of like it, and it, and it is. It's the same thing as integration. You know, people say, "Look, hey, wh what do you mean you you don't? Wh what do you mean you want to resegregate?" And you know, I'm like, "Hey, I don't want to resegregate as much as I want to let people do what they want to do." No one ever had to be forced at the barrel of a gun to segregate. Yeah, blacks did sometimes, but whites never had to be forced to move away from blacks. It's just what they what they did. It it was the other way around. They had to be forced at gunpoint to go to school with blacks. Yeah. Um, Integration had to be forced. So these these constructed and forced political uh, unifying theories aren't even really unifying. They're 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 just kind of lumping people together by luck or or or, un, or unluck, really. And and it allows them to 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 herd that population into whatever direction they they wish. Yeah, and so they can't be seen because it's a uh, they've they've zombified the host. So to speak, yeah, <laughs> the a, host it's a can't crime detect to uh, to acknowledge that they they are the problem. I mean, for all intents and purposes, even oh yeah, they, quad, it's, a, it's a crime. I mean, you say it. Go ahead and try saying that in your uh, place of work and see if you still have your job the next day. You know what I mean? Yeah, I and they would they they would make it as bad as their their power, uh, and as their power grows, it'll just get worse. I mean, it'll be like the. Uh, the USSR, where anti-Semitism was punishable by death at times. Yeah. Um, well, yeah. here's I have a question for you, Dietrich. Okay, I'll try. Um, as, as I don't know, obviously I don't know shit compared to you on the situation out there. But from what I understand, the Sunnis pretty much under Saddam and everything, they had the money and they had the control. Okay. Um, yeah. And and they did it. They they kind of formed a national system that was obviously not based on jewelry, which is which is not really. I mean, the Jews use strength and arms and everything, but it's mostly lies and deceit they use. I mean, Saddam just did it with fear and, and, and strength. Yeah, and a really good what, network what, of informants. Well, what's, what, what's the racial makeup difference between the, the Sunnis and, and, and the Shiites? I mean, is... is there isn't a significant there be, difference. There's no, there's no racial difference between the groups? I don't want to say no. Well, I mean, no. Not really. No, there's nothing significant. I mean, you've got all kinds of people running around that area. you got to understand... 
I mean, thousands of years ago, that whole area was populated by Greeks, for instance. Okay. So, I mean, uh, Iran is... Iran sounds like Aryan because it's the same word. Uh, I've heard that. Yeah, it is. Uh, there are, you can find swastikas carved in stones all over Iran. Um, I, I just, it just but yeah, I mean, Alexander the Great was a Macedonian. He, he went all the way over to India, and he, he had his people populate those entire areas. They spoke Greek. They were Hellenized and... Uh, you know that's what that means, man. They they were they were Westernized. You had other influences come about, but uh, tribes have been running back and forth across that area as far as time has gone on, as far as I, I, as far as history shows, and as, as far as I'm concerned, it happened even in prehistory. It's just the step Asia is just a very busy type of highway. It's very well, it's an easy know. passage through Asia. I, th- I think your 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 whole theory, this whole tribal thing, I mean, it makes obvious. It makes it obvious. I mean, that's what they do out there. It's how it's been. Uh, it just it just seems amazing to me that the Sunnis were able to pull their shit together like that. Um, well, their shit is together. There's just not that many of them. And it, that's they, why I was wondering if there's maybe some fundamental racial difference that's something. But I guess it's, no. I mean, you have Marsh Arabs, and I think Marsh Arabs are okay. I'm probably going to get this wrong, but I think the Marsh Arabs are Sunni. Uh, the Kurds are really kind of a different ethnic group. You can you can look at a Kurd and tell a Kurd from a from a, a regular or just everyday Iraqi. But other than that, I mean, they are really much there. They, uh, they, I mean, like Marsh Arabs. You've got Marsh Arabs who uh, many of them could be dropped off in Europe and just pass. Uh, green eyes, blue eyes, uh, light brown hair, sandy blonde. Uh, those are your Marsh Arabs, who are basically the same group that you find in northern Iran. That are the descendants of the Thracians and Scythians and the uh, Caucasians who descended and founded the first uh, monotheistic faith. Uh, and they were called the, or the, that was called Zoroastrianism. They, uh, oh, and swastikas abounded there, <laughs> which I find really neat. But uh, yeah, you, you can't really look at. In that area, and tell who they are, except for maybe Kurds, with reliability. So the the red angle doesn't really, uh, and that's why I wish they would get their shit together. I mean, they could really, uh, the real the real racial ethnic divide there is between Persians and Arabs, and that that's who you really have in, in that area. There's a bunch of different sub tribes, but the two major groups in this area that we're talking about are Persians and Arabs. And I don't call a Persian an Arab. <laughs> Whatever you do, I learned that quick. <laughs> um, yeah. So yeah, if you're dealing with anyone from Iran, just don't say, oh, you Arabs, because you'll get an earful. Yeah, that happens here in, you know, in this area, too. We have a lot of Chaldeans, which yeah, are Chaldeans. basically Christian Arabs. And if you call them an Arab, oh, holy shit, they, will, they don't take kindly to that. But, um yeah, yeah. It, it's, it's, and look, look, this is the way these people want to live, and they live in a tribal situation, and that's the way they've been living for thousands of years. Look, the Jews, just read the Old Testament, the Jews were basically a nomadic tribe um, far, far back. Uh, they're akin. They still to are. These, yeah, yeah. They, they still are, but they're, but they're akin, they're racially akin to uh, the Arabs in the Middle East. They're, they're the same exact people, and they have a different religion. So that's the way these people have been living for years. That's why the Middle East 
is just a clusterfuck, and the Western world should simply have nothing to do with it. The only reason we do have something to do with it is because of uh, Jewish pressure in our in our governments. Yeah. And our I mean, Muhammad pretty much wanted to fit in with the Jews in uh, Mecca. Uh, the Jews were running Mecca. Jewish scholars were all squabbling amongst themselves. Uh, Muhammad actually was just a smart kid who wanted to get a word in edgewise, and they wouldn't they wouldn't hear any of it. Probably got a real distance for them, yeah. and uh, he came back and sacked Mecca and, and, and basically mirrored Judaism in a, in a lot of in, a, in some very basic ways. It was Christ, mostly Christianity, but you know he, he it, 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 besides that whole warning of the Jews thing, which is what I appreciate about Islam. Uh, it, it was very closely modeled on what was going on at the time, and what was going on at the time was these uh, Jewish scholars uh, squabbling amongst them, squabbling amongst themselves, and he just wanted to get a, a word in edgewise. I mean, that's that's the honest to god history of uh, of Muhammad himself. Yeah. He was he would probably, if they had known any better, they could have just co-opted him, and, and he would have been a Jew. But no, I yeah, guess. most. Uh See, that was a trading area. That was the crossroads. And yeah, the Arab nationalism isn't the, the natural state of things there. I mean, who knows what is the natural state of things? It's probably something like Singapore, which is like a city state, a series of city states with uh, tribal nomadic areas in between, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, uh, Dietrich, people are mess- messaging me saying uh, Marsh Arabs are Shia in uh, large proportion. So. Okay, cool. So I think I guessed right there. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, we, we're inserting, once again, we have this, uh, you know, here in the Quad, they like to call it the culture war. Well, goddammit, we wouldn't have a culture war if we didn't have, in, uh, you know, multiculturalism and diversity. We wouldn't have to worry about this shit. Um, you know, we wouldn't have to worry about the, what's happening in the Middle East. It's yep. the Middle East. I mean, and maybe we would. But we certainly wouldn't have to worry about it coming home at, to roost here in America. We wouldn't would have to worry about it on a uh, physical level. We could worry about it, uh, you know, you know, kind of afar. We could look at it from a distance. Yeah. But now, but now, thanks to Bush and the neocons and the Jews, who are the head of the neocons, we, we have to. It's part of our, you know, the Middle East is suddenly part of Western civilization. It's part of our existence. And God, I'm, I'm tired of it personally. I, I don't want to have anything to do with these people. Yeah, we uh, don't have anything to do with them really. Don't. And yeah. they, they're, uh, and, and, you know, and and the United States was a lot more sophisticated earlier on than a lot of us like to, or a lot of our history books like to let on. After World War II, the State Department was taking very scientific, uh, very careful polling data from that whole area over there after the war, and. Uh, found out was that Muslims loved us to death. The the uh, the Arabs loved us. The uh, uh, Persians loved us. The Palestinians loved us. I mean, we were very very popular over there before oh 1948. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh, boy, it's been downhill ever since well, then. Um, we were know, very 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 popular. That's Turkey. because any American that was going over there back then was just handing out money and pocket watches to. That's the not true. 
That's not true, though. I mean, we it, it, it was, but most people had never met anything like that. Our conceptions of one another were very wild. I mean, like, we had the Lawrence of Arabia conception of Middle Easterners as far as the United States goes. But really the reason was because we presumed to be anti-imperial, and they were tired of the imperialism. This was this was right at the beginning of Arab nationalism. Uh, gotcha. You know, we, we had the 20th century began with Wilson saying that, uh, which was very smart. Wilson's 14 points. I mean, one of the first ones is, hey, uh, national boundaries should be drawn along racial and ethnic and, and, and language, uh, linguistic lines. I mean, you know, where these people speak all the same language and think all the same thing and, and have these same celebrations, well, hell, they should be in one nation, right? And the, you know, and that's how you can prevent war. And he's right. But it, rather than prevent war, you can manage war by uh, cutting these along different lines, and, and that's what the Brits got really good at uh, in, in their imperial days. But the United States, getting back to what I was saying, the, the, the United States presumed to be anti-imperial, and that's why they really loved us. They really glommed onto us, but actually all we wanted to do was stick it to the Brits and open their markets so we could sell coke to them. Rather than you know, because the Brits had a lock on those markets, and we wanted access to them, we wanted access to the oil and everything, and they were so sapped after uh, the two wars that it wasn't really hard to do that. Yeah, we just sort well, of took over. It's very interesting commentary on uh, the Middle East. I want to thank you, uh, Dietrich, for coming on tonight. Oh well, thanks for having me. Yeah, I appreciate it. Um, top of the hour here, so we're going to probably take a break. Uh, I'm going to bring in uh, Hibernian here and Alex after the break. And cool. I'm gonna, I look forward to listening. Yeah, thanks a lot, man. I appreciate you coming on, and I uh, I find your Iran commentary uh, and your Middle East commentary extremely fascinating. And I well, anytime I'll be back at it on, uh, on I'll Friday. be back at it on Friday, and I look forward to listening to the rest.